Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Today, another guest and um, someone with an eclectic past. My goodness, a heritage, which is really extraordinary. Perhaps we'll talk about it. Well, if we do, it's because Michelle Capotz is with me today, is going to enlighten me all about her past. So first of all, hi, Michelle, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you, Russell. How are you? Good, good, good. And where in the world are you today? I am in Arlington, Virginia, which is just outside Washington, D.C. Yeah, I know it well. Um, fantastic holidays, holidays in Washington. You, you always say it's a trip to Arlington, isn't it? So it's probably different to where, where you are. And so uh, Michelle Capotz, that is a fascinating surname. So just tell me a little bit about that, if you would. So Capotz is Italian. And if many moons ago, if you say it with an Italian accent, it was probably Capozzi. And if you said it with an Italian accent, it would come out Capotz. So that's where Capaz comes from. Fantastic. Well, that's brilliant. Uh, I do like the Italian accent. So um, if you suddenly find me launching into it, you know, I'm being inspired. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that'd probably be a very bad idea. So Michelle, tell me a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. Uh, yes, I am a speaker and coach on mental wellness and resilience. And I'm also a writer. Okay. And how did you get to this point? What's your, what's, what's your journey? So I am someone with lived experience in mental illness. I, was, I went through a clinical depression in my 20s that I was in bed with the covers over my head. I was off work for two months. I was suicidal and planning ways to kill myself every day. Um, during that time, drinking and depression are really intertwined for me. I can't talk about one without the other. I was what you would call a binge drinker. I didn't drink every day, but once I started, I know I usually couldn't stop. Um, I've been in recovery now for many years, but I had a really hard time when I got there because I'd never gotten a DUI. I never went to rehab. All of these things that I associated with yeah. someone being an alcoholic, I wasn't. So I struggled a lot. Um, the drinking for me was always, it started out as a coping mechanism. 
I, my father died when I was two years old and I always grew up feeling different and the alcohol kind of made that okay. Later, exactly. Later, I had a sudden death in the family and the drinking became my coping mechanism. I was 17 years old and that's how I learned to cope. So when I stopped, I was 25 years old and I thought that that was too young, but um, it obviously wasn't. And I'm grateful that I did stop at that age and it wasn't something that continued. So when I stopped drinking and went through that depression, I went to therapy and got on medication and I got better. I got well. Um, Years later, I went through another similar depression that shot me into a manic episode and I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Mm. At that time, I knew nothing about bipolar and I was in and out of psych wards for the following three years. I had my manic episodes. I was bipolar one, which means I had intense experiences of psychosis of either depression or mania and mine was mania. And I had these episodes that sent me to the hospital and I would, it would happen and I would be released. I would start to get better. I would start to feel better. And then the next year it would happen again. And it really devastated me. I really worried that this was what the rest of my life was going to look like. Yeah. That's, that's extraordinary. So, so did the, did having a diagnosis help? Because sometimes when you don't know what's wrong with you, it's actually quite reassuring to know that it is, that it is the thing, isn't it? Because at least you know, you can sort of do something about it, I suppose. Yes, you know, and you can do something about it. But I worried that, as I said, I knew nothing. I really knew nothing about it. And I worried when I got that diagnosis that it meant that I was crazy. I literally thought that I was crazy. Um, So in that sense, having that diagnosis didn't help because of the self-stigma that I put on myself. There's a lot of talk about stigma, but there's not so much talk about the self-stigma that we place on ourselves and how difficult that can be to overcome it. You think that you're weak. You think that you should be able to snap out of it. Why is this happening? Um, And I definitely experienced all of those things. Yeah. And it's interesting because some people the lived experience is so so powerful, isn't it? Because so many people experience this syndrome, uh, probably syndrome is the wrong word for it, but this condition in, in it, there's so many ways of experiencing it. Some people are, you know, able to surrender themselves to it, don't they? But it's interesting to hear that you, you this sort of self-stigma that you placed on it. Um, it. Is this something that you've come across in other people, this sort of self-stigmatization, if that's a word? I think, yes. Um, I think a lot of people, for me, I had, well, first of all, to back up again, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about bipolar disorder. I didn't think that it was 
something that could happen in your adult life. I thought it was maybe something you were born with. I didn't think you could be diagnosed in your 30s. And the self-stigma had me fighting against it. I did not want to admit that I had a mental illness. And I really spent a lot of years fighting against it. Um, For me, what really changed was when I was able to accept it. And I was able to accept if the bipolar disorder was not all of me, but only a part of me. And that was a big realization for me was being able to accept it. That's a, that's a really insightful point, isn't it? Because a lot of people categorize il- illness of any description as some sort of fight or war. You know, the war against cancer, for example, is something that we talk about. As, as a, and we sort of set up an adversarial approach rather than recognizing actually it's part of us, isn't it? it it's, not, it's not the most useful way of approaching it, is it? Not at all. And it's interesting that you brought that up as well, because I had a mentor who used to tell me all the time to run toward the sound of the cannon. She taught me how to run toward the sound of the the cannon, which is actually a war analogy, but mental illness is sort of a battle that you have within yourself. And for me, what that meant, run toward the sound of the cannon, meant running not away from, but running toward your problem, which is where I found freedom, which is where I got to actually be free from my mind. And for me, one of the things I talk about a lot is mental wellness, how the freedom for me is achieving mental wellness, which I think is very different from mental health. A lot of people combine them together, mental health, mental wellness. But in my mind, mental health is the diagnosis. Mental health is the therapy. It's the medications. It's the doctor's appointment. That is the mental health. The mental wellness is learning the tools that help us to get there. And that can be things like exercise, meditation, practicing gratitude, eating right. It's all the things we do that help us to take care of ourselves and maintain ourselves, our mental health. And, and that's interesting. So, so let's just back up again, if we may, because um, you talked about this idea of self-acceptance. And I actually think it's one of the trickiest things to do. I mean, how did you practically self-accept or did you discover that you had begun to self-accept? I got to the point that... I feel like I kind of had no choice but to accept. As I said, I was struggling and fighting against having a mental illness. And what was happening was the more that I fought against it, the more I was in its grip. Um, I really felt like the more I fought against it, the more I was in its grip. And for me, and recovery helped a lot with that as well. Um, My own recovery, my 12-step recovery helped as well with being able to accept my mental illness. Um, But it was really the realization that 
there was more to me. I thought for a long time that that's all I had to offer was that I was bipolar, that this mental illness really encompassed my whole life. And that's all I was about. And that's all I had to offer someone. And when I realized that there was more to me, there was a whole nother side of me that I wasn't embracing because I was so focused on this mental illness. Yes. Um, That's sort of where the acceptance came in. Makes sense. And if you look at some of your writing, it talks about this idea that, um, you know, people have obstacles standing in their way. um, And, you know, it's about how you deal with those obstacles. So, and, and I guess, even the diagnosis is a sort of an obstacle that's put in your way and an acceptance is part of the dealing with that obstacle in a sense, is it? Absolutely. Acceptance is part of dealing with the obstacle. For me, some of the obstacles, the mania, if I can backtrack for a moment, when I was first diagnosed, it was, we thought it was medication induced, that it was high levels of Prozac that had originally shot me into a manic episode. And I was very relieved to believe that it was medication induced and not Michelle induced. But then later I ended up having a manic episode where I was found hitchhiking on the side of the road in Tasmanian devil boxer shorts, a t-shirt ripped all the way up to my left breast My dog, I was barefoot, my dog with me, not on a leash. I was on an interstate and hitchhiking. Um, Luckily, I was picked up by a fireman who took me to another psych ward. But the irony of all of that is I never left the house without wearing five-inch heels. I was constantly wearing five-inch heels. And here I am, barefoot on the side of the road, completely disoriented, not knowing where I was. So for me, the obstacle of mania was huge in my life. But one of the things that I work with others on is overcoming whatever that obstacle might be for them. It can be stress. It can be overwhelm. It can be a sense of loss of self-confidence. The Obstacles are different things for everybody, Yes, but learning how to overcome them is really one of the things that I focus on. Yes. And so um, how, can find, how can people find out more about where you work, Michelle, and what you do? Uh, yes, you can find out on my website, which is michellecapotz.com. That's Michelle with one L. Uh, michellecapotz.com and there's more information about speaking and coaching available on my website yeah and uh, and so you want a, um, a, a one-on-one coaching program so who what sort of people do you tend to work best with um i i my audience is more geared toward 18 to 25, 18 to 30, that particular audience. And I think one of the reasons I'm so drawn to that audience is that that's when everything changed for me. It was that period of my life that was so dramatic and where everything absolutely changed for me. So 
it only feels natural that that is the audience that I'm most drawn to. Yes. It is interesting um, how the the mood music around diagnosis and such like has changed because it's 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 not long since actually the being able to use the words mental health, mental wellness, mental, mental well-being to become accepted. You know, people like talk about mental condition, don't they? Um, certainly in my lifetime, I've seen this acceptance move towards that. And actually having a, a mental health diagnosis when I was young was, was a real problem. But now actually it's, it's, it's not seen as any more than just an obstacle in the sense. And that's something that can be overcome with good therapy, good uh, lifestyle and such like, as well as uh, treatment where that's appropriate for people. So the, the stigma, the the stigma, the external stigma has been replaced to a certain extent. Would, would you agree? I believe that we've gotten better. I believe we've definitely gotten better um, in a lot of ways. I think that COVID definitely brought the conversation to the forefront in that it normalized it, that so many people were experiencing problems with their mental health, but it's been going on for a number of years, for many, many, many years, as yeah. you just mentioned. It's, it's COVID just brought the conversation to the forefront and made it, helped, helped to normalize it. Um, but I believe we've come a long way with the stigma, but I, I yes. believe there's still, there's still more we can do. Yes. And, but it's interesting that the current generation are very, I was going to say stoic, I don't mean stoic. They're very more aware of mental health as a, as a non-stigmatized thing. So for example, as was some tennis player, wasn't there, who, who said they wouldn't play because of mental health issues. And um, Absolutely. Adele, I think, uh, but Vegas and such like, I think it's it's becoming okay to recognize that mental illness is just illness. And it's not, it's it's just, you just can't see it, but it is actually being recognized as a proper thing. And I think that's important because that's been one of the biggest battles actually, isn't it? These To treat it as if it's something, even though you can't see it. Absolutely. To treat it as something, even though you can't see it, and to accept that it's no different taking medication. Taking medication is something that a lot of people still struggle with. And taking medication is no different than if you took medication for diabetes. Taking medication is something that you do to help your illness. And it is an illness. Um, I think that it's courageous that a lot of people stand up and talk about it today, but when you're in the middle of it, it can still be isolating and it makes you feel as though you're all alone, but being able to talk about it and being able to talk about it with someone else. I'm a big believer that when we share our problems with somebody else, no matter what that problem is, it cuts that problem in half. And when we don't talk about it is when we find ourselves in trouble. Yeah. But it's important to talk to people who are knowledgeable and practical and pragmatic. Because there's a saying, isn't it, that a a trouble shared is sometimes a trouble doubled when you have the wrong people. So you need to have people who are capable of actually handling themselves and not becoming subsumed in their own drama 
Otherwise, that can be a problem, can't it? But I mean, professionals as well, therapists and coaches are really important to talk to as well because they have a they're, they're used to dealing with this thing on a regular basis. And I'm guessing if someone came to you, you'd have a a better idea of how to empathise with this than the than than people that wouldn't than who've not had lived experience, I suppose. I believe my my lived experience definitely uh, plays a part. But again, I'm, I work with clients on not on curing or working with their mental health. Um, I'm mostly working with clients on confidence and stress and helping them reach their goals and move, move toward their goals. Um, I certainly am, am not a doctor and don't have a medical background to work with clients, particularly on mental illness. Good. Okay. Brilliant. Well, absolutely fascinating. And it's, 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 we've had people before who've had um, bipolar and it's, it's also such a fascinating story how they, they recount this suddenly appearing in life as if something's been switched off and then they appear doing the most extraordinary things. And, um, you know, that way brilliance lies as well, actually. Mental, you know, bipolar is a condition often of the very, very clever and highly intelligent people. It's not a sign of weakness at all, is it? It's a very, it's a very unusual condition. It's not a sign of weakness at all. And as I said, it took me a long time to realize that. Um, today, though, I embrace that part of me, whereas I used to run away from it. Yeah. Today, I embrace it because I believe that it's made me resilient. Um, and my experiences have shaped who I am today and what I do for a yeah. living. And I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for those experiences. Yeah. I um, recently broke my jaw and went through a period that all these old feelings started coming up again when it came to the depression. I didn't want to see anyone. I didn't want to be around anyone and realized that those feelings, I realized what they were and realized that I could do something about them. Yes. And that was a world of difference. I hadn't felt those feelings in many, many years. It's been many years since I've had a depressive or manic episode. So I was surprised to feel those feelings again, but realized that there are things I can do. Yes. I mean, that's the key. That's the thing with resilience, isn't it? It's the knowing you've been through it allows you to, to have a toolkit to help you to go through it again. So it's, uh, it's absolutely brilliant. And of course, as you say, people who've been through it and are resilient themselves, um, or good, you know, good mentors and coaches for people who are struggling with it. Because people need to know that it's possible to come out the other side. I think sometimes when you're experiencing the effects of depression, it's it's a sense that that no one no one could get through this. You know, it's it's very overwhelming. Such like so, having people that you can see in your life who can is really important. I agree. I agree, and I believe that. Everybody, we all have a story to share. Everybody has a story to share. And um, it's in sharing that story that we find our power. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, it's been an absolute joy to talk to you today. And um, I wish you were continued success and ever, 
ever strengthening resilience as your life works forward. And um, good luck with the coaching. And uh, Michelle's site was, of course, michellecapotz.com. And all links will be in the show notes and such like. Michelle, thank you for spending so much time with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Russell. You take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.